glorify God this morning. And uh, I was sitting here and sometimes I kind of feel like one in a million, you know, like there's a whole group of people on the other side of the world that don't know who I am, you know, (laughs) or uh, one of millions I met. And, uh, you know, if like I was to pass, they would not have any knowledge of me. They wouldn't care, you know, wouldn't shed a tear. And, um, and it kind of makes, makes me feel a little bit like, well, is my life really, con- you know, am I making a contribution? And this morning, um, I sat here and I felt like, I felt the love of God just pouring on me. Amen. And I felt, even though I'm one of millions, this morning I felt like one in a million. <laughs> and, um, and, and that's not really because I'm, you know, doing really great at serving God and just never letting him down because I, I am. Um, I think that's more of a matter of me remembering that God has just so much love for us. And there have been more breakthrough in my life, more deliverance in my life from remembering things about God than anything else, you know. And... Um, that's gonna, that plays in perfectly to what I'm going to talk about today, but I just wanted to say this morning that if you, if you feel like you're kind of just being pushed off to the side, you're really not in God's eyes. And whether you believe that or feel that, that's not, how, that's not the case. So um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10 um, says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. There's the first half of the verse that says we are not saved as a result of works, but through the gift of God. And then the second half says, but we were made through Christ for good works. So we're not saved by works, but we're made for them. Um, Unbelieving people, I believe, really need to get a hold of the first half of the verse because I feel like they're really striving to perform and I believe that believing need to understand both of them fully. They, they forget about the first one, and they forget about the second one. We need to have a complete understanding. So we're, saved, we're not saved by works, but we're made for them. Most people want to believe that they're generally good. They want to believe that. And Proverbs 16.2 says that all the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. The Lord weighs the motives. They'll tell you that they may not be the best person in the whole world, but they're, be- they're certainly not the worst. <laughs> and they're, the little good deeds that they sprinkle on people, they outweigh the bad that they do. And they'll tell you that they believe that God is good enough to where he will see that and understand that and accept them for it. But at the end of the day, Um, If they were to be honest with themselves and to really think about it, most people avoid thinking about it, but if people were to be honest with themselves, the weight of their failures are always on them. They're just carrying it 
and um, the fact whether they would go to heaven or not is a question in their mind that they want to either forget about or when they do think about it, it torments them. I know I was there before I knew Christ, and the years I went to JDC and and shared the gospel there, I would I would ask all the time, how many here are, are believing? How many people believe in Jesus? Have faith in Christ? And all the hands would go up. And then I would say, how many of you believe and know that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And half the hands go down. And there's a lot of people that are in that boat where they just, you know, there's, they don't get that connection. But even um, the greatest human who ever lived does not stand a chance at the end in front of the white throne apart from Jesus, no matter what good that they do. Isaiah 64, 6 says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. When our good deeds are used as a means to justify ourselves, before God, they become like filthy rags. They're useless to Him. Our attempt at justification through our good works is taking something that He's designed to be beautiful and it's perverting it into something twisted. Because good works were meant to be acts of worship and love to God, not as a way to flex our human muscle to show Him how good we are without Him. So at the end of the day, this tr ecclesiastical truth remains that being alive is meaningless. And so any good thing that you do is going to be meaningless before God in terms of salvation. We get up, we work, we set goals, we achieve some of them, we party, we cry, and then we die. And it's happened millions of times. And it's all meaningless. And Isaiah says that the wind blows away the wicked because of their iniquity. And we are, without God, just dust. And we go back to dust, and the wind blows us away, and we're forgotten. So to believe good works alone can lead to salvation is also to place too much emphasis on our contributions to God. Jesus does not need our help. He likes our help. He likes the relationship and working with us, but he does not need us. He caused water to flow out of a rock when the Jews were thirsty. He can destroy poverty. He can facilitate and maintain world peace if he wanted to. He could accomplish any goal that was set before him without us. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. I know that because I was the fastest runner sometimes and I didn't win. The most qualified doesn't always get the job. And whether you're a Christian or not, we never know if tomorrow has bad news. And so that tells me that we are in God's hands, not that God is in our hands. So our um, good works, motivated by human, human pride, do not provide Jesus with an advantage that he would otherwise be without. Aside from the meaninglessness, of being alive and the good deeds that it comes from. Aside from we provide Jesus with no advantage, there's one main big issue on why good works cannot lead to salvation. And that is because our right standing with God has little to do with what we accomplish when you compare it to who we are or our identity. 
Matthew 12, 34, Jesus says to Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Someone who is evil, when they do something good, even the good is evil. Before the cross, we are Jesus' enemies, separated from him, and in fact, fighting against his kingdom. Our Father, according to Jesus, is Satan, which is a depressing truth. The dark father hates his children, and he puts the weight of the knowledge of good and evil on their shoulders. The knowledge of good and evil crushes us because it becomes obvious that we know of good, but we can't live it. And we were never meant to carry this load, and so we fail. Any effort to carry on, to struggle in spite of our failures, to keep going down the road of self-reliance and ignoring the accepting outstretched hand of Christ, that's just an attempt to tear him down, and it's like the Tower of Babel, us just trying to show that we're good enough without him, even though we are desperate for relief the entire time. In Romans 5.10 it says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But we were his enemies that needed to be reconciled. So before the cross were Jesus' enemies carrying a load that is too great for us to carry, but after the cross, coming to him through faith, we go from enemies who are overloaded to being one and properly equipped to handle life. John 17, 20 and 21 says, I, Jesus asks, I do not ask on behalf of these 12 disciples alone, but for those of you who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, and me, and I am in you. That they may all be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That we become one with God is an amazing thing. The, fa the fact that we will be resurrected from after we die is because we are one with him. One with God. We become Jesus' alloys. Does everybody here know what alloy is? It's when you take a metal and you combine it with another metal and it becomes a new metal. And this new metal is designed to be stronger or more resistant to some kind of negative effect like corrosion. So we become like Jesus' mixtures with a greater resistance against death, with a greater resistance against the power of sin. And so we are welcomed into heaven, first and foremost, because we are a mixture of Jesus. And to deny us would almost be to be like denying Jesus. So our justification is based on who we are, one with Jesus. And the weight of sin is completely lifted. So good works fail humans with regard to God's acceptance because being alive is meaningless. Our good works do not provide God with advantage, but mainly because who we are is infinitely more important to God than what we do. 
So we're not saved as a result of works, but through the gift of God. However, we were made in Christ for works. So now, after the cross, we get to get, go to work. We get to be used for something meaningful and for something that's eternal. James 2.26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. We are his workmanship, like art or a sculpture or a beautiful job well done from a carpenter. The, the A that I got in calculus class is nothing. But the, the prayer that I had before the test, the faith and reliance I had in God ahead of time, that's everything. The money that you gave to the homeless guy is nothing. But the, the fact that Jesus' love inspired you to do it made it everything. The sermon that I'm preaching to you today is nothing, but the hunger that we all have to grow in God, that makes it everything. The what is nothing, while the why behind it sanctifies everything. That's why Jesus weighs the motives. So naturally, if our big why, the why of life, is Jesus, our what will be beautiful acts of worship as opposed to acts of pride. When we backslide and our good works count start to fall, what's happening is we're doing our best Simba impression. Has everybody here seen The Lion King? I hope so, because you're not going to get what I'm saying. <laughs> so we're doing, Simba had an issue of identity, and that's what's returning to us when we backslide. We forget who we are, and we start acting like the locals. Um, Simba, through fear, severe loss, and guilt, forced his mind to forget who he was. So while he was actually the king's son, and therefore the rightful heir to the throne, he was acting like a nobody from nowhere. A meaningless lion eating bugs because he even forgot he was meant to eat meat. In that moment, when we backslide, and we want to get back, but it seems impossible, trying to do better is not the answer. That's reverting back to self-reliance. But instead, it's to remember who we are. It's to remember the gift of God. You are a person who was previously wicked before and apart from God. Remember that. But because of unfailing love, you were justified. You were baptized. You were blessed. You were forgiven. And a, now a clean member of his family. Remember that. And thirdly, you are a person with a mission and a purpose. You have to remember that. It sounds simple to remember these things, and you can think about them, but letting them sink into your heart is kind of difficult sometimes. I've been there, and I'm sure you have too. Satan has established his kingdom here precisely to help you to forget who you are, to distract you from who you are. That you're worthless, you're too far gone, that you will annoy God, that you constantly disappoint God, and that you are not loved and that you're not important. If you find yourself at this position, I want you to try to remember these five things. I do them all the time. I did them this morning. You know, I, I, get, I get nervous to preach in front of the church. I get nervous to open. It's weird. I've been doing it for years. I get 
it, but it happens. So um, in that moment, you have to be completely open and honest with God. Say you're backslidden, and, you and, you, and in your heart, you don't want to go to church. You don't want to have communion with God. You don't want to read the Bible. The, he sees how you feel in that moment. It's not a secret from him. He, he, you're not keeping it from him by not verbalizing it. But when we say it, when we get it out on the table for ourselves, it's the first step of dealing with that issue. And so get everything that you feel honest in front of God. Lord, I feel this way. I'm sorry that I feel this way. Ask for forgiveness. And then number three, imagine his shoulders. Imagine Jesus' big, strong shoulders. Think of the things that you're carrying, the weights that you're holding, that are holding you down. Imagine him coming up beside you and you taking those weights and putting them on him. You were not designed to carry those, but his shoulders were designed to carry those. His shoulders are strong enough to carry those. And for me, I visualize this, and for me, it makes me feel uncomfortable to give Jesus my issues, to give him my weights. It really does. Because I want to carry my own weight. I want to be self-reliant. But it goes from uncomfortable to extremely freeing. My, the weights are lifted off, and I, I'm able to take, go on to the next step. Ask God for strength. God has, in these moments where I'm backslidden, I'm going through these steps, I ask God for strength. The next day, I have this mysterious inspiration to open up the Bible and to read. Because, believe it or not, God answers prayer. And that's the, that's the prayer that He loves to answer. And then lastly, repent. Change, the, change your mind. Position yourself to be available to God. Imagine your worst fears. When we're backslidden, our worst fears are typically, I'm going to have to give up this thing that's causing me to backslide. I'm going to have to leave this person that's causing me to backslide. I'm going to have to change something in my life. Go down that road in your mind completely to the end and be, accept it. Be okay with the outcome. Be okay with letting go of that thing. And let go of your attachment of this world. And if you do those five things, you'll be well on your way to remembering who you are in God. So let the fact that you're wicked apart from God sink in. But then immediately after that, let his overwhelming grace like rain sink in even more. Imagine yourself as a returned prodigal son who is honored by his father and completely cleaned. And remember that he knew all of your sins, past, present, and future, when he chose you, and he chose you anyways. So this sin that you're currently dealing with, he knew about. It's not catching him off guard. He is completely prepared to, to handle that. He leaves the 99 for you. He sweeps the house for every nook, through every nook and cranny for you. He bought the field with all his fortune to obtain you. He went through the war at the cross. And in the aftermath, his prize was you. You have to remember that he loves you. But aside from that, you have to remember that you are crazy about him. You actually love him. You know that you've never felt more alive than when you were connected to him. He is your hero. You wish 
that you were just like him. And your deepest desire is to make him smile with the story of your life. So today, remember who you are. Our church is very small when you look at the numbers. But we're giant. We're giant. Our pastor, he is one in a million. Um, if, you were, if you had to leave this church and try to find another place, I think it would be very difficult to replace Pastor Nick at your new church, to replace the prophetic utterances, to re- replace the powerful prayers. If you think about all the people in this church that serve, relative to how small we are, musicians, the youth teachers upstairs for three different classes, the people who work the nursery, the ministry of helps, the sound people, people who go to JDC, um, musicians, did I say them? Everybody. If you think of the percentage of people that serve compared to the people that come here, it's very encouraging. But we can never get satisfied with that. We have to push on. We have to stay hungry because that's what we were made to do, to, to work for good works. Um, a few verses about um, serving. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. It's Proverbs 11.25. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. Colossians 3.23 and 24. Jesus speaks in Matthew 25, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Remember that we're actually every act of service, every good work you do, it is for Jesus, personally, for him. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then let your light shine out of the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Just imagine if we had an influx of people in here that came eager to serve and you passed the baton of whatever responsibility you had, would you stop working? Probably not. You would move on to bigger and better things because there's always something for us to do. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, The flesh is not our friend in this department. The flesh tries to get us to despise the work. Let me take a nap. Let me take a break. But the work is not supposed to be despised. It's to be prized. Don't resist it, but enjoy it. You know, like, it's easy to look at a work and to say, I don't want to do it because of this. It annoys me. Or you can flip it around, that same exact thing with a different attitude and say, I love it because of this. There is no rest in heaven, I don't believe. And I thank God for that. In Luke 19, 17, he says to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be an authority over ten cities. I think there's more work to do in heaven. I think, there's, I think it's interesting that Jesus rewards his servants with responsibility as if it's a good thing, because it is a good thing. <clears throat> work is what makes life enjoyable, I believe. I mean, how are you going to enjoy vacation if you don't work hard? A uh, job well done and a nod of approval from Jesus is the good life. In Ecclesiastes 3.12-23, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, 
that each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. The gift of God is to find satisfaction in your toil. We have to work no matter what. My mom says that the lazy work twice as hard. I read a motivational poster about daily exercising recently. People who say they wish they could find the time to exercise. And it says that someone busier than you is working out today. I understand that life is busy, but we have to remember our call. We were made in Christ to walk in these good works. We're all on this crazy treadmill of life. Some hate it and feel trapped, while others embrace it and thrive. Our church is small, but we're giant. So let us be the beautiful pieces of art that he made us to be, and walk in those good works purposefully and joyfully. Amen? You guys will stand. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you have prepared good works for us to walk in ahead of time. That you made provision, Father God, to include us as in part of your team, as part of your plan. Lord, it is such a good, it's such a privilege, Jesus, to work alongside you, to hear from you, to be inspired by you, that you give us ideas, that we carry them out, that your kingdom grows, that people are saved through our efforts, Lord. And we know it's not us, but it's us working with you. You bring the meaningfulness into life. You cause the increase and the growth. And we're, the, we're just the lucky ones, Father God, in the aftermath of the cross who get to be used by you, Jesus. So today I pray for the one who needs to be encouraged, who is backslidden, to remember who they are, Father. I pray, Father God, for the one who remembers vividly who they are, to work and to press on, Father God, further and harder than they did yesterday, Jesus. That they would keep their eyes on the prize, Lord. Thank you for your love. I thank you for your acceptance. I thank you that we are so clean and so accepted and so loved by you today. I thank you, Jesus, that we love you back and that we adore you back, Jesus. You are so good, Father God. You are our hero, Lord. You are my dad, Father. Lord, when I needed someone to teach me how to be a man, you stepped up to the plate, Father. And I thank you for it. When I was by myself, when I was frustrated, when I was angry, Jesus, you came and you brought me peace. And I thank you for it, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, Lord. I pray, Father, for blessing on this church. Pray that you bless every person here with money and lots of it, Father. I pray that you bless them with health, Jesus. I pray that you bless them, Father God, with a job in the kingdom, Lord. Keep them safe, Father. Lord, I pray that they would not have fear this week. If something bad comes up, Lord, that they would remember Goliath, who came to defy God, and then you defied his forehead, Father. Lord, I pray, Jesus, that boldness, Lord, would be on these people. Your people, Father. Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Antonio. Thank you for reminding us that we are special to the Father.
And uh, I can't add anything to a wonderful message reminding us of where we have transitioned from, from darkness to light. Um, I'm just so grateful that that the Father, that the Heavenly Father saw in each of you something that he loved and valued and treasured so much in spite of the fact that it was locked under um, the controlling influence and the corruption of sin. It was still there. And he came into this world to rescue you so that that gift that he put in you could, could have a chance to be what he had called you to be, to be to the praise of his glory. And I'm so grateful. Make sure that you know that today. That God doesn't just love you out of pity. In fact, he loves you because to him you are a treasure. The Bible says, who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the despicable cross. He rejoiced because what was going to come into his hand, you, were something that he just loved. If you have a hobby, if you like collecting things or doing things, I've got a few hobbies. I like collecting guitars and stuff like that. Everybody's got their hobby, their thing that's, they just, oh, if I could go out on a yard sale and find that piece of pottery that's worth $500 on eBay or whatever you might dream about. You get excited when you go out, and especially if someone says, oh, if you go there, you're going to get it. Jesus went to Calvary's cross, and you cannot imagine the joy he had when he saw each of you. Please ask the Father to show you so that the next time you look in the mirror, whether it's a reflection in your heart or you're really looking in the mirror in the morning, that you will not look at yourself and undermark, discount, mark yourself down but that the Father will help you see how valuable you are to Him. Don't see the face of somebody else who you think is more spiritual or a better Christian. Stop looking that way. See that you are uniquely loved and greatly desired of your Heavenly Father. And I just appreciate it. You may say, well, I don't think Antonio said that this morning, did he? I, Yes, he did. I heard him say that as I was sitting there. I was hearing it. Hallelujah. And everything he said. Isn't it wonderful when the Holy Spirit speaks, we hear that word confirming what he has been speaking to us. So thank you, Antonio. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving us. As you prepare to leave this house, go out with joy. Be led forth with peace. Be the church that you are in here today, out there. Hallelujah. And before you go, do one other thing. Sign up for October Pumpkin Patch. Praise the Lord. John is holding up the sign-up thing. 